everybody, it's Michael, and welcome back to episode 35 of the Sunset Single Player Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me this week. We're getting near the end of winter here in 2021. Pittsburgh right now in February, we do have a lot of snow. I actually went sledding the other day for the first time in years with my friend Chris down a really big hill in Pittsburgh. So there's an area of Pittsburgh where Chris lives now, where I used to live, called Mount Washington. And there's a big park up on Mount Washington called Grandview Park with a really nice view of the city downtown and it just kind of towers over the city and there's this really big hill in the park that was covered in snow so we did go sledding on that hill on Sunday so just over the weekend and had a really good time this hill was very massive and we were flying down the hill head first and we had to stop ourselves by dragging our feet before hitting the pavement definitely probably not the safest place to sled with the size of the hill and the pavement at the bottom but luckily we didn't get any serious injuries although I did get a pretty major major scrape and some bleeding and a brush burn on my leg from when the two of us went down together. So most of the runs we went down separately, but one of the runs we went down together and I completely messed my leg up a little bit. It was bleeding a little bit. It got cut on some ice, a chunk of ice, but besides that, it wasn't too painful. Don't have any other complaints. Can't complain too much. And this weekend, I also went with some friends down to the Strip District, which is a pretty big market area in Pittsburgh with a lot of food and shops and things like that. It was really free the day we went it was like 20 degrees but we really just needed to get out of the house and find something new to do and we did actually try a really good new pizza place called iron forge in the strip district that i've never had before and the pizza was really good it's kind of like square detroit style pizza if you know what i'm talking about it's kind of like sicilian style pizza not really traditional pizza but i got a spicy pepperoni and pepper pizza that turned out really great and everyone else liked their pizzas as well it was good to walk around the strip and just get out of the apartment. It's really been a little bit tough here in Pittsburgh with this really cold winter and just not much going on. Everyone's trying to stay in and hopefully get their vaccines. I still haven't been vaccinated yet, but luckily some friends and family members are beginning to get there. So hopefully all of us will be vaccinated soon enough and hopefully eventually be able to just carry on with normal life and start doing more normal everyday activities soon. That would be really, really nice. And hopefully there's not too, too much longer of this pretty dreadful time during the pandemic if I'm being honest, just not the best time out there. People are struggling. So I do hope everyone out there is doing well and is able to do pretty good for yourselves right now. Hopefully you're able to make a little money and stay afloat during these really unprecedented times. And I hope everyone out there, if you have lost your job, I do want to offer you my condolences. And I really hope that everyone that might be down and out or feeling down and out lately is able to get back on their feet soon. I really hope that there's some light at the end of the tunnel with all of this. I know you guys don't come to me for my insights on the pandemic and any negativity that comes alongside that. I know you come here for talk on games, so let's get right into that. And I do want to talk about what I've been playing lately. So I know I mentioned last week that I wasn't really feeling Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. I wasn't really in the mood to play it, so I was playing through The Last of Us 2 again. And I'm happy to say I did complete the game on Survivor Difficulty. I just wrapped up the final section last night, actually, and had a really, really fun time. The game was really challenging on Survivor. You had to make use of all your resources and bullets, make everything count, use some stealth, go prone, craft some stun bombs and arrows and stay silent. It really was a solid way to play the game. You really had to use everything at your disposal. And there's so much player choice in that game with kind of the economics behind the resource management. Like if you have a rag, you can use it here and make this health kit or you can make a Molotov. And it really does carry its way throughout the entire game, giving you choice in how you want to approach its really amazing combat. And I did really love the story this time. I picked up on some additional new 
story pieces that I didn't notice in my first two playthroughs. And at this point, I'm really, really excited to start the game on Grounded once the PS5 update is out and ready to go. I think this game would really benefit from 4K and 60 frames, but nonetheless, it was still a lot of fun in the last-gen version being played on the PS5. The game did look really incredible at times, and I was definitely impressed with the experience on the PS5 so far. I just think the update could make it a little bit better once that is ready to go. And then besides that, now that I've beaten Last of Us 2 again, there's really not much out I want to play until Blue Fire comes to PlayStation, hopefully at the beginning of March. I'm hoping that it's just a one-month timed exclusivity deal, and we'll be getting that game soon. And then Kenna Bridge of Spirits is coming in March, so those will be two of my March games, Blue Fire and Kenna, hopefully, as long as the those games come out on time but in this kind of weird space where I don't really want to buy Immortals Phoenix Rising I'm kind of tired of open world games and I know I'm not very good at stealth games so I don't think I'm going to give Hitman 3 a go at least now maybe I'll jump in when it drops in price I don't think I'm going to go for the control platinum since I've already platinumed it on PS4 and already recently beat the DLC packs so again I was debating between starting two games and those two games were Ghost of Tsushima on New Game Plus and then Bioshock Remastered on PS4 PS5. Bioshock apparently on PS5 runs at 60 frames per second in 4K. I read online. I only beat the Bioshock games one time a piece. Bioshock 1, Bioshock 2, and Bioshock Infinite. And I played them about two and a half, two years ago, back to back to back. So I definitely wanted to revisit the first game. I really loved it at the time and I wanted to see what this upgrade could do. So I did play Bioshock for about an hour last night on the PS5 and I have to say it runs really, really smoothly. It looks great in the 4K resolution. The frame rate's great at 60 frames. It really does feel like I'm playing a really polished definitive version of the game. So I'm definitely excited to continue my Bioshock playthrough and give you guys some impressions. I feel like there was a lot I missed out on in the first time through the game. I didn't find all the collectibles or a lot of the audio diaries, so I definitely want to go back and try to understand this story to the best of my ability. I know there's a lot of complex themes and economics and government or anti-government rhetoric in that game that I'm excited to explore further and hopefully grasp a better understanding behind. So I imagine that I'll be playing through Bioshock over the next week or so. I don't know about any other Bioshock games right now. I don't know if I'll for example, go into like infinite or two after this, I might go into infinite. I feel like if I were to continue my Bioshock time and my time with Bioshock, I'd probably go into infinite after the first game since I've already beaten two, but I'll just have to wait and see. Apparently infinite had really good DLC or no, apparently Bioshock two was the one with really good DLC. So maybe eventually I'll check that out as well. And it is nice that there's not much coming out right now and I can just enjoy some really amazing games that I'm revisiting and playing through again. I know Bioshock is regarded as one of the greats, and while I did really like it at the time, I'm hoping I can find some sort of additional appreciation for it this time. I do think it's a really, really good game, and definitely excited to keep going with that one. And then I do also have to say that I did beat Sackboy Big Adventure alongside my girlfriend Gabby. We played the entire game in co-op, and it was a lot, a lot of fun. I really do recommend Sackboy a Big Adventure for people out there that have PS4s or PS5s. It runs great on PS4 as well. And we did play the PS5 version. And I have to say, it's a really, really fun platformer. Probably the best co-op game I've played in a long time, besides something like Smash Brothers, although that's more competitive than co-op. And in Sackboy, we did a lot of the optional levels and collectibles in addition to the main story and completing the main story. And so far, I have about half of the trophies, and we still have some time trials to wrap up, and the final challenge, which is called the Wonder Plane Challenge. And the Wonder Plane is basically a final set of levels after beating the final boss, so we'll get to that a little bit later, I'd imagine. So my final verdict on Sackboy is that it's a really, really 
really good game. It's a great platformer with a little bit of combat, so you do have to defeat some enemies and boss fights. There's also unique items you can get in the game, like a boomerang, you can get hover boots in certain levels, you can get an item that kind of transports you to a ball of slime to like evade certain hazards and levels which is really cool and the game has really really strong level design i have to give a lot of props to sumo digital here especially on certain levels designed for co-op and two or more players where puzzles must be done by each player in a certain order to progress i think they did a really really good job on those puzzles designed specifically for co-op some of the later levels in the game were somewhat challenging but overall it's a pretty moderate or easy to moderate game from a difficulty standpoint for people to play solo or together or with a friend or a significant other. And I'm really happy that we were able to support Sumo Digital and buy this game since I do want to see more platformers on PlayStation moving forward like this or not like this too. And Sackboy also did run very well at 60 FPS on PS5. There were some really fun boss fights that were very memorable, especially the final boss with certain puzzles included in the fights and it can also get competitive in co-op as well trying to stay alive longer than your partner and not die and try to get as many collectibles and bells as you can before your partner does there's also some very challenging optional time trials for people who like going for trophies with hazards in each platforming time trial section so it is a really good game there's a surprising amount of content here too i mean if you just stick to the main story you can probably beat it in like 12 hours but we spent probably about 20 hours with the game so far just by doing the optional co-op levels, doing some time trials, hunting for collectibles, and we still have probably at least 10 or 15 hours to go to mop up the remainder of the trophies if we decide to do that. So if you're looking for a new platformer game, I really don't think you can go wrong with Sackboy Big Adventure and or Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time, although you might want to wait until March to get that PS5 upgrade for Crash 4. Both games were really, really good, and I'm really hoping that we see more platformers on PlayStation this year and next year. And like I mentioned at the top, hopefully coming as soon as possible is Blue Fire from Switch and PC to PlayStation because that will be the next platformer I play. And I know I've talked about that game for a while now, but it does seem to mix Zelda Wind Waker with Hollow Knight and some other platforming. I read some reviews and people even compare some of the platforming to like a more challenging Mario. So I'm definitely excited to check Blue Fire out once that's ready to go. So yeah, that's what I've been playing. Finished up Last of Us 2, finished up Sackboy, and I'm starting up Bioshock. Well, we kind of just wait for some of these bigger 2021 titles to hit in the coming months. But now that we've talked about that, I do want to get into the news for the week. And we'll start with number one, which is a really big collection of news from the most recent Nintendo Direct. And I'm not going to be going into every single item announced. There was a lot of stuff I just didn't really care about. A lot of multiplayer stuff too that I don't think a lot of you guys would really care about. So I am just going to focus in on the four or five announcements that I thought were most interesting and talk about them a little bit. And then we'll move over into the non-Nintendo related news from the week as well after that. So getting right into it with number one, Nintendo did hold their first Nintendo Direct in over a year and a half, I believe. And they started the show in an interesting way. We did learn that Pyra is coming to Smash. So of course, even after complaints from fans, we're getting another anime sword character in Smash Brothers. This is exactly what most people did not want to see. Kind of has become a running joke that the only DLC characters they're putting into Smash are anime characters with swords. But Pyra is from the Xenoblade series. So it's cool for fans of that game. But from my perspective, I'd much prefer they put in someone like Waluigi or Crash Bandicoot or someone just unique and different not just another cut and paste anime sword character and it's cool you can apparently buy 
DLC characters for Smash individually. You don't need to buy the whole pack. I think you can buy a character for like five bucks. So I might just buy like Banjo-Kazooie because whenever I've played on friend switches that do have the DLC, he's been really good. So I might look into getting just him because I don't really care about the other DLC characters that have come out. Sephiroth looks pretty cool, so maybe I'd pick him up as well. But besides Banjo and Sephiroth, I'd much rather them put in someone like Waluigi or Crash, like I said, just someone more iconic that's not just something really generic like Pyra. And next up, the one announcement I do want to touch on is that Mario Golf Super Rush was announced and it's coming to Switch exclusively on June 25th, 2021. And I looked further into this game on Nintendo.com and on the site, they do confirm that there is a speed rush mode focused on speed running each golf hole. Then there's also a story mode, of course, and this will be the first console Mario Golf game since 2003. So it's been about 18 years since we've had one of these. And I've heard that people really did love Mario Golf back in the day, so it's exciting that they're bringing it back, but I don't think I'll be playing it. It just isn't really my type of thing. I don't think I'd want to play like a Mario sports game unless it was Mario Super Sluggers. I really like the Mario baseball game that they made back in the day. So I'd rather them have made that instead of this. But for golf fans or Mario fans, I think this is a cool game. And I'm sure it'll sell really, really well since Nintendo saw it as an opportunity to bring it back. I think that fans are going to be really excited for this game. And I do think it'll sell very well, even though it is a full priced game at $60. But for me, it just doesn't do too too much but for those of you guys out there that are excited i'm happy for you there and then next up the one announcement i do want to go over is that skyward sword is getting an hd remaster for the switch and this game is being re-released on the switch this time in hd on july 16th so initially skyward sword was a wii game a wii zelda game from 2011 that i did really enjoy so i'll get into my impressions on this game in a moment after we go over the announcement itself so the game this time will allow you to use motion controls like you could on the Wii or you can also play the game in a button press only mode without motion controls and at the time Skyward Sword was very controversial for having its motion control scheme on Wii and some people hated the game for this they wanted something more traditional like they were used to in the past so I do think it's good that at this point in time they're giving you an option to use motion controls or to just play in the button only mode. And I was someone that did like Skyward Sword back in the day, but I would have preferred the button only presses back then when I played the game as opposed to the motion controls. And I did beat this game about three years ago for the first time. I played it on the Wii when I was going through a phase of playing a lot of Zelda games. There was a summer where I just played like three or four Zelda games in a row, having never played them before. I heard such great things about the series and I'm so glad I did play them. It is definitely one of my favorite game series of all time now. And while I don't think Skyward Sword is the best Zelda game by far. I do think that it did have some really cool dungeons and puzzles and fun combat. Combat was very precise. You actually needed to have like the Wii Motion Plus or whatever that peripheral was to attach to the bottom of your Wii remote to get even more precise combat in the game. So some sections of the game were a bit annoying for my opinion, just from the motion control part of it. Gerarum was a really tough boss fight that was really annoying as well. I remember the rest of the game wasn't that hard, but Gerarum the boss took me so many tries for like no reason, which is kind of weird. However, most of the game was really pleasant and the Skyloft vibe 
the game being in the air was really cool. It was a good change of pace for a Zelda game that I think a lot of people probably skipped at the end of the day. I do think that this is a game a lot of people haven't played yet because it was on the Wii, because of the motion controls. And I think it's great that it's coming to Switch to give people more of an opportunity to play this one. I don't know if it's one that I would want to play again, at least right now. It is a long game as well. It's probably like at least 30, maybe 40 hours to get through this game. And I think it's a bit crappy that they're charging 60 bucks for this, considering it is a 10-year-old Wii game. But Nintendo does understand they can charge this price since people will definitely pay it. They're not going to sell this game softly. This game's going to sell a lot of copies, everybody. However, I do think that they should charge 40. I think 60 is too steep, especially since they bundled Wind Waker and Twilight Princess on the Wii U for full price. So my question is, why should people pay essentially double per game for Skyward Sword? And it is probably worth 60 to people who haven't played it before thanks to the quality of the game and the length but I do still think this is a bit of a high price point for this one and it's also important to note that while they were not announced at the show it is heavily rumored and some outlets even say confirmed that we will be getting Wind Waker and Twilight Princess on the Switch this year which is what I am really hoping for personally. So VideoGameChronicle.com reported that Skyward Sword on the Switch will have improved graphics and run at 60 frames and then Video Game Chronicle also reported so Andy Robinson more specifically a video game chronicle reported that both games are 100% coming to switch this year Wind Waker and Twilight Princess and an employee of Eurogamer also thinks these games are coming so we'll definitely keep our eye on this because it is the Zelda 35th year anniversary so I think this past Sunday was the 35th year anniversary of Legend of Zelda so they do want to celebrate it the best they can so I think it's a little bit weird that they only showed Skyward Sword in the event that Wind Waker and Twilight Princess are both real it seems like you'd want to just use this direct to carry that momentum over and just show what you got once rather than just slowly leaking it out over time but it does also make sense that they might want to wait a little while since the Mario 3D world is still technically being celebrated and only offered until the end of March of 2021. So you only have until March 31st to buy the three pack collection of Galaxy 64 and Sunshine. So maybe they're just waiting for that to pass by until they re-reveal the Zelda games that are available. So the timing and the way they announced this was a little bit weird. I do think 60 for Skyward Sword is too expensive, especially since you could get three Mario games for the price of Skyward Sword. Most recently, like for 60 bucks, you could get 64, Sunshine, and Galaxy. And granted, these games are shorter than Zelda games, so that argument is able to be made as well. I just think it's a little bit unfair that they're charging this large amount, but at the end of the day, we're consumers and we can choose whether or not we want to pay for something with the money that we earn, so we don't necessarily need to pay 60 for this. Like, if I want to play Skyward Sword down the line, I can buy it used or off eBay or wait for a price hike, although that probably won't come for a while considering it's a first party Nintendo game. I just personally think that $60 for a 10 year old game is a little bit excessive, especially when you set a trend of bundling older games for the same price point. I think Skyward Sword coming in at 60 is a little bit out of the blue, but keep in mind that they did have to redesign the motion controls for the Switch, and that probably took a lot of extra time and effort to help justify that price tag, but still seems a little high to me. But granted, if I were a first-time player that was interested in Skyward Sword, I would pay $60 for it. I do think the game is worth that based on the quality and the length. It's just having already played it, and it being 10 years after the game came out, I just think 60 is a little bit high for this one. So hopefully this means that they'll be bundling Wind Waker and Twilight for 60 together like they did on the Wii U. Then it wouldn't be too bad. It would be like $120 for all three games, so 40 a pop. So that's not great for much, much older games, but 
It could be worse. I just hope that they don't charge 60 separately for Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, especially since those are the games I'd rather play at this time than Skyward Sword. I'd probably happily pay $60, 30 apiece for both of those games and slowly chip away at them on my Switch over the next year or so. I do think that Wind Waker and Twilight are really, really solid games. Better than Skyward Sword, but Skyward Sword is one I don't think you should skip as well, especially if you're looking for something new to play on your Switch this summer and you haven't already played the game. Before we get into the final announcement of the show, I do want to mention the sequel to Breath of the Wild and news pertaining to that. So we did not get any additional information on the next Zelda game. So Nintendo did report in their most recent Direct that while they are hard at work on the sequel to Breath of the Wild and the game is progressing nicely, they unfortunately did not have anything to show of the game during the Direct. However, they did promise that an update on this game would come later this year. So to me, this was disappointing that we didn't see more on this game considering we haven't seen anything from the game in about a year and a half at least, maybe even closer to two years when they revealed the announcement trailer with Link and Zelda holding their torches seemingly underground. That was a really cool announcement trailer that I remember pretty well. And I think that if you're going to come up with this really big direct and you haven't had a presentation in almost two years or a year and a half, whatever it's been, I really think that they should have just gone for it, given what they had on this game. Just show us some gameplay, show us something from this game. It's been a while, and fans are really hungry for the next Zelda game. And with the anniversary this year, I think it was a little bit disappointing that they didn't show it this time and instead focus on a Skyward Sword port. It just seems a little bit out of touch with what the fans really want. And it's a little bit disappointing from that end. But from the other side of the spectrum, I also want to say that the game is easily one of my most anticipated games that I know of yet, the sequel to Breath of the Wild. And it's definitely my most anticipated Switch game, definitely even more so than Metroid Prime 4, which I'm also excited for. So the rumor is that the game is coming this fall, but I'm not as optimistic anymore since they didn't choose to show anything. So at this point, I could see it releasing anywhere between November of 2021 and November of 2022, but we'll just have to wait and see what they decide to do with that. And I would love to get it this year. It'd probably be game of the year for me unless they got God of War out, uh, God of War Ragnarok out this year, I should say. But this is why I'm not too upset they didn't show anything. I mean, even though it would have been great to see something and they should have shown some gameplay they can still take their time with this they don't need to rush it out i don't need to play horizon forbidden west and god of war ragnarok and the new zelda at all the same time i'd rather nintendo take their time and make the game even better than the original breath of the wild which i did love a lot and it's definitely my favorite switch game between that and smash and i do want nintendo to go back to the dungeon or temple type of game Though, I mean, for me, as much as I enjoy the Divine Beasts as the replacement of dungeons, and I'm glad they tried something new out, I would like some more traditional temples this time with some more traditional Zelda gameplay and puzzle solving. I don't know if they'll keep the shrines. I don't know if the game will be as open or if it will be more linear than the first Breath of the Wild. I imagine it'll be more open world since they already have that gameplay rendered and that world rendered in their engine. So I think that the game will probably be open world, but I would like if instead of the Divine Beast, they made more puzzle solving dungeons instead of the Divine Beast. I think that would just be better to resort to the old ways of Legend of Zelda. So I'm excited to see what they do with that. And I'm really, really interested in this game. I can't wait to see what they do from a story standpoint. If Zelda is going to be much more involved this time. I mean, she was involved in Breath of the Wild, but it sounds like she might even be more involved in this. I've seen rumors that there might be co-op where you can play as Link and Zelda. I don't know how I'd feel about that. I'd probably prefer a strictly single-player experience as Link with maybe some sections as Zelda. That would be cool if you could change characters, something like The Last of Us does. So I'm excited to see more on this game. 
I am disappointed. I do think that they should have shown more. The fans want more information, even if it's just like a five-minute gameplay trailer, just something to hold us over a little bit longer. If you're going to come out with a big event like this, you can't let your fans down by just showing one HD remaster of an old Zelda game for the anniversary. You got to show more than that, but that's just where I stand on this. So finally, when we get to the end of the Direct, we do get a trailer on Splatoon 3, which we learn is coming in 2022. And there wasn't much to see here. It was just kind of a cinematic announcement trailer. There was no gameplay shown. And I'm not a Splatoon fan. I've never played a Splatoon game. I know Inkling got popular through both Splatoon and Smash is a playable character in, in Smash. And I do think this is a cool way to end the show for big Splatoon fans. I'm sure people were really, really excited and happy about this, really glad with the way the show ended up, but it wasn't really a good way to end the show for players that aren't a fan of Splatoon. So in terms of my overall thoughts on the Direct, I thought overall it was pretty weak. They've just been quiet for so long besides the releases of Animal Crossing and Hyrule Warriors, which I'm still considering playing. And then obviously the Mario games like the 3D All-Stars and the most recently the 3D World and Bowser's bundle so I really think they just need to wow people they needed to wow their audience in this direct and they just didn't do it the smash character was underwhelming a lot of the Japanese role-playing games they show just don't do it for me there was a full price skyward sword port or remaster with no mention of the other Zelda titles coming to switch no news on breath of the wild 2 a Mario golf game that while it does look fun it's just kind of going back to what they've already done other notable absence was that there was not an update on metroid prime 4 which we haven't heard anything on since like the beginning of 2019 it's been over two years since they scratched and started development from the beginning so i have to say that while nintendo does really knock it out of the park with some of their games like smash bros and zelda and certain mario games they really are getting into a habit of just recycling the same ideas and the same games over and over again because people are willing to pay for them over and over again and i don't mean that with the new Zelda game that's coming. That's going to be a brand new, full-priced, great experience that I'll happily pay $60 for day one. But them coming out with another port and another Mario Golf that looks really similar to the last one, it's just a little bit disappointing to be a Nintendo fan right now. And it really is the main reason why I've migrated to PlayStation is my primary place to stay and play. With the exception of Smash Bros, the occasional Mario game, and every Zelda game, I don't really have much of a reason to go to my Switch. Unless it's for indie games, like I did really enjoy Enjoy Hades on Switch. I enjoyed it there since it wasn't on PlayStation yet. And Switch does get some good timed exclusivity deals like with Blue Fire and Hades. So these good games come to Switch before they come to other platforms. So if you don't want to be patient, it's a good way to play indie games, but they do ultimately come to other consoles later. So again, I'm a little bit disappointed in them. I won't be buying the Mario Golf game. I won't be buying the Skyward Sword Remaster, at least for full price. Maybe once it drops in price, if I get an urge to play it, I'll buy it. I'll definitely give them 60 for the new Zelda and I might even give him 60 for Wind Waker and Twilight since I love those games very much but I don't necessarily think that everyone should be praising Nintendo when they're really just charging full price for 10 year old games whereas their competitors are doing it much better like on Xbox and PlayStation you can buy older games for way cheaper than the full price I just don't really think it's fair of Nintendo to be doing this, but I can't really blame them from a business perspective since people will pay full price anyways, no matter what they release. Just to me, I'm a little bit more skeptical of what they're doing lately and impressions will really be confirmed by how good this next Zelda game is. If it's really, really good, I'll definitely have some faith restored in them. And that's not to say I don't have faith in Nintendo. I do have faith in them to make really strong first party games every like five years or something. I just don't really appreciate their strategy of charging full price for really old games and that's where I'm at with them lately just a little bit disappointed with how they're handling some of their more recent releases but at this point I feel like we've talked about Nintendo 
enough based on their showing this past week. And I went over the highlights, at least what stood out to me. So at this point, I want to go into number two for the week, which is that there is an issue with the PlayStation DualSense controller that I want to go into. So IGN.com did report that a U.S. law firm has filed a class action lawsuit against Sony claiming that the PlayStation 5 DualSense controller is defective due to drifting issues and that Sony was aware of the problem and did nothing to fix it. So before we get into the story, I have to say these are pretty major claims. I do have experience with the DualSense now, quite a few months. I've had it since launch, so I've had it for about three months and have played a variety of games, both PS4 games and PS5 games on my PS5. So I do right off the bat want to say that I have experienced drift at least once or twice in my time with it. So my brother David was actually playing on my PS5. He was playing The Last of Us Remastered on my PS5 and he experienced drift where Joel would look around in the sky when he wasn't actually pressing the stick. So that was one game where we've experienced the drift. And then another time was that I was playing Sackboy Big Adventure most recently with Gabby and I died by jumping off the ledge. And it was funny. She was like, what did you do? What did you do that for? Why'd you die? You made us get a game over or whatever she said. And I told her that it wasn't my fault and the controller just walked me off the ledge without me holding it and she didn't believe me. But now there's definitely some stuff, some substance behind this issue. It's definitely distracting and can make a negative difference for a little while. But besides these weird minor issues, I haven't had any other dual sense drifting issues. So hopefully they can patch the game where these issues are occurring from to fix these problems rather than having to recall a ton of controllers. That would be very expensive and damaging for them both from a financial standpoint and from a reputational standpoint. But back to the main issue at hand in the lawsuit. So for those of you, you probably know what it is, but for those of you out there that aren't sure what a class action lawsuit is, these are basically lawsuits set up against corporations most normally to benefit or on behalf of a large group of people. So this class action lawsuit is on behalf of a lot of consumers that own the DualSense. So this type of lawsuit makes sense here since millions of people have already bought a PS5 and have their hands on a DualSense. So the lawsuit from this US law firm states that Sony's conduct and handling behind this DualSense drift issue is deceptive, unlawful, and unfair. So the defect in the controller is said to result in characters or gameplay to move on the screen without input or manual operation of the joysticks, which is pretty much exactly what I described with my issues in The Last of Us 1 and Sackboy Big Adventure. And we learned that options for repair are really slim, and the law firm is essentially alleging that Sony knew about the problem and has done nothing to address it or to fix it. So I imagine that Sony is going to respond to this. This will likely drag out in court for a while. I'm sure ultimately the company, so Sony, will have to pay at least a fairly significant settlement to address this issue. And while I do think that there are some pretty bold claims being made that they knew about it and didn't say anything, and you'll notice that Sony's constantly talking about how great their new controller is with the adaptive triggers and haptic feedback, and it's a little bit funny to see the other side of that where maybe this controller isn't everything that it should be. It seems like there's some drifting issues, there are some drifting issues, and even if they are minor and most players experience, they still occur, and that's really embarrassing for them. I mean, Xbox doesn't have this problem yet with their Series X controller. But on the other side of the coin, Nintendo has also been skirting the same problem with Joy-Con drift for a while now, and there's currently litigation through various class action suits on Nintendo as well on behalf of 
Nintendo consumers that's playing out in court on their drifting issues. I've also experienced Joy-Con drift as well. And that's why if I do play my Switch now, I just use the Pro Controller. And once the new Zelda game comes out, I'll just be using the Pro Controller on that. Not only because of the drift, but I also think it's much larger and more comfortable than sometimes when I play the Switch, I feel like the Joy-Cons are meant for like young kids. And I don't even have like massive hands or anything like that. I have like normal adult man-sized hands, but I'd much prefer the Pro Controller as a gamepad of choice for that console over something like the Joy-Cons that just aren't very comfortable for me to hold, especially in handheld mode. I don't really like to play the Switch in handheld mode that much. I Every time I play it, I like to play docked on TV, at least most of the time. Sometimes I'll play something in like bed, but it's very rare. Most of the time my Switch playing is on TV when I do spend my time with it. So we'll definitely keep our eye on this as it progresses. I'm sure Sony will have a formal response. Of course they will. I mean, they're being summoned to court basically through a class action suit. So they'll have a response to this. We'll see how it plays out. We'll see if they take a hit from this or if it's just something that they can kind of work through and mitigate to the best of their ability. And of course, as this progresses, we will be reporting on it right here. Number three, RPGGamer.com reports that an isometric roguelike game called Dandy Ace is coming soon, first to Steam and PC on March 25th, and then it's scheduled for release on consoles later this year, and we still aren't sure when. So RPGGamer.com reports, quote, Dandy Ace follows a fabulous magician that is hunting a green-eyed illusionist named Lely who has imprisoned him in a cursed mirror. The magician utilizes a wide variety of cards in battle that have different playstyles and powers, and Dandy Ace can also create custom decks to unleash in skirmishes." End quote. So to me, this game, and the reason I wanted to report on this announcement is that Dandy Ace to me looks a lot like Hades actually, which of course we reported on it last week. I think I even did a review or a Deep Impressions episode on the podcast of Hades, if you guys remember listening to that. Hades is an excellent isometric roguelike game from Supergiant, the creators of Transistor, Pyre, and Bastion that I do highly recommend. So Hades is on Switch and PC now, and I imagine it'll be coming to PlayStation and Xbox later, although we don't have official confirmation on that. It's set up in that isometric style like Hades was, where you're kind of in these large open rooms just casting a lot of attacks at these enemies in these kind of rooms or vaults, and it looks really, really good. It looks to take a lot of the positive elements from Hades if you guys want to check the trailer for Dandy Ace out. So it's coming in about a month to PC, not sure yet of consoles, but definitely one to keep on your radar if you enjoyed Hades or if you're just interested in something different. These isometric roguelike games are really different from most games I spend my time with, and for as much as I liked Hades, I'd like to check Dandy Ace out eventually if it's something that scores really well and seems like something of a high quality once it does launch. And based on the trailer, I do think this game has the potential to be really, really good. So I imagine I'd check this one out when it comes to PlayStation in late 2021, maybe early 2022, whenever it's ready to go. Number four, we learned that Marvel's Avengers is coming to next-gen consoles on March 18th. So website doubletap.com reported that Square Enix was set to release its next-gen versions of Marvel's Avengers on March 18th, 2021. The next-gen versions will come with lower load times, better frame rates, better textures, and also a new playable character called Hawkeye and there will be a new DLC pack called Operation Hawkeye Imperfect Future. So it sounds like players in addition to jumping into this new DLC can pick their save off right where they left off with no extra charge if they already own the game. So that sounds pretty good. It sounds like with how damaged the end product was Avengers, I know it sold well initially but then people fell off of it. It didn't really pick up any steam 
and it's not really a super popular game right now. I do think that a next-gen patch for the game could help reinvigorate it, especially since there's not a lot of native PS5 or Xbox Series X games right now. So maybe players that haven't played Avengers yet might check it out on PS5. I don't think a new DLC pack is going to be something that will save this game because it is important to remember and I don't think I've reported on this in the past but I probably should have is that Square Enix did actually lose a lot of money on Avengers. According to their financials it was a bad investment for them. They didn't recoup their development costs and even with Final Fantasy 7 Remake selling as well as it did Avengers definitely brought down the bottom line of the company significantly in 2020 just based on the poor performance of the game. So I do think it's smart of them to get an improved next-gen updated version out on next-gen machines, but I don't know if it's going to save this game. Personally, I don't have an interest in this type of live service Avengers game, but I did want to report on this nonetheless if any of you out there are really into Avengers or excited to check this game out and maybe waiting for the right time, maybe the next-gen patch will be a good time for you guys to check it out and jump in if you're interested. Number five, and this one is another next-gen upgrade I wanted to touch on in The Sinking City. So The Sinking City is the Lovecraftian detective adventure game developed by the Ukrainian studio called Frogwares. And Frogwares did make some of the older Sherlock Holmes games as well. The Sinking City itself was initially released in June 2019 and now goes for $50 on the next-gen consoles. And although there is currently a discount for PS Plus owners, I think it's like $38 or $40 now if you have PlayStation Plus to get the next-gen PS5 version of the game. GamesRadar.com did report that the Sinking City on PS5 and Xbox Series X will feature 4K resolution and 60 frames per second, lower loading times, and additionally, there's some DualSense features on the PS5, maybe something with the triggers or haptic feedback. And unfortunately, this is where it gets a little bit messy and annoying, so unfortunately, there's no next-gen free upgrade for players who already own the game and i'm glad i didn't buy this game because it was only like 12 bucks or something on the playstation store for the ps4 version i was thinking about buying it a few weeks ago thinking there might be an upgrade but luckily i didn't because there's no ps5 upgrade for free according to games radar and the reason for this is not really an anti-consumer reason it's kind of something that i don't know a lot about but basically what games radar said is that the reason there's not a free next gen upgrade is because there's some ongoing legal issues between Frogwares and its previous publisher of the last gen version of the game. The name of that publisher is escaping me, but the game is now available. It did come out on February 19th for the next gen machines, the next gen versions, I should say, after initially releasing in June of 2019 on the last gen consoles. So I might get to this game eventually, maybe once it comes down to like 20 or 30 bucks for the PS5 version. I heard it's kind of like LA Noir in a way although it's more like Lovecraftian, like I said, and it's detective adventure game based. I think there's like some third person shooting as well. So this might be one that if you liked LA Noir or Mafia remake, like I did, those are two games I really liked, Mafia 1 remake and LA Noir. This might be a good one to check out. I'd love to hear someone in the audience's opinion eventually if they did play this game, how it was, if I don't get to it for whatever reason, but February 19th, Sing City is out on next-gen consoles if you guys are interested and would like to give it a try. Number six this week is the wrap-up of the week for the news, and this one, there's kind of a lot of substance here, so this one will be interesting for us to go into since we don't really talk about this company much on the show, just based on my interests and what I like to cover and play, but it is a really big player in the industry, so I do think it's important that we go over it. So number six is that Bungie has recently expanded its studio to make games in addition to Destiny. This is reported directly from the Bungie website. 
So Bungie, which is the Seattle, Washington-based developer responsible currently for Destiny and Halo associated with Microsoft in the past before they split, has announced that it is currently experiencing some major growth in a variety of areas. So first off, we learned that in the fall of 2022, the expansion of Bungie's headquarters will grow the building from about 84,000 square feet to 208,000 square feet. And alongside this expansion, we learned that there's a commitment to focus on the long-term advancement of the Destiny series. So not only advancement of Destiny 2, but they also said they want to tell new stories in the Destiny universe. And in addition to this, they also want to create new worlds in yet-to-be-announced new IPs. We also learned that in 2022, it was announced that Bungie will open an additional international office in Amsterdam. And this office will house the company's expanding publishing and marketing divisions, which signals that Bungie is looking to get into publishing others' games in addition to self-publishing its own. So with this news out of the way, I want to say that this is great news for Bungie fans and fans of Destiny alike. So the expansion of Bungie is good for those that want more Destiny content and new games entirely. So they're looking to focus in on new IPs in addition to Destiny, which is great. Personally, I would love if they did something entirely different from a first-person shooter an online FPS. I'd like if they did an action adventure game or maybe even like a platformer or a survival horror game, just something we wouldn't expect. I want to see what else they can do over there at Bungie. They're definitely really, really talented with their work on Destiny and Halo. Halo being for many, many years ago, they have a lot of talented first person shooting developers there. I'd like to see what else they could make though. Something that's a little bit different from an FPS while still maintaining Destiny for players that want that first person shooting really good gameplay. So it is important also to note that Bungie did receive a $100 million investment back in 2018 from the Chinese gaming company NetEase. This investment did give NetEase a minority stake in the company back in 2018. And this was reported on by The Verge com back at this time. So NetEase also has been given a seat on the company's board of directors. So it gives them more of a say in business matters and decision making, even though they do just have a minority stake in the stock of the company. So Bungie's deal with Activision has ended in 2020. And now Bungie is self-publishing Destiny and will also likely self-publish its future games and publish the games of others as well. So my thoughts on this, I think Bungie's doing some really great stuff with some exceptions that we'll get to in a moment. So I do think that it's good they aren't tied to a publisher anymore. They have split from Activision. Now they self-published Destiny and everything associated with Destiny. So their deal with Activision ended at the end of last year. I do listen to a podcast called Sacred Symbols, which is a PlayStation podcast. It's really great if you guys would like to check it out. And one of the co-hosts of the show, Chris Ragon is a really big Destiny fan. He plays it constantly. And he said about a month or two ago that Destiny has been at its best when Bungie was independent and not tied to Activision. So it sounds like their freedom to self-publish and work by themselves has been good for the franchise as opposed to a negative. And it sounds like the split from, from Activision was something that was really good that happened to Bungie. However, you can't skip over the elephant in the room, which is that a lot of Chinese money is tied up in the studio now. And even though that NetEase just owns a minority stake, I would imagine that they have some influence over the company and decision making, like I said. So while this $100 million was probably helpful back in 2018 to get Bungie started in a publishing capacity and also get some investment going into some new IPs, maybe hire some new developers and get some R&D ex expenses and investment going into some new games. I do think that obviously NetEase as a for-profit company is going to expect a return on their investment. And personally, I don't like the idea of Chinese money being tied up and influencing American businesses, but that's just me. I'm sure some people might 
disagree about that or might think it's not a huge deal. But for me, I don't really want Bungie to have to bend the knee or bend to the will of Chinese money. I want Bungie to make what they want to make. I want them to do what they want to do. And even though they aren't affiliated with Activision anymore, and they're separate in that way and independent in that way, they still have this minority stake of this Chinese money, this Chinese shareholder that I just hope doesn't come back to bite them. I hope they're still able to independently make what they want. And I hope at the end of the day, things go smoothly with the company and fans get many new great games and great updates to come. Hopefully the Chinese money helped them and didn't hurt them. Hopefully NetEase doesn't get too, too involved in Bungie's actual operations and game development. That would be disappointing because I want them to do what they want to do. And hopefully the deal was structured in a way where they're able to retain some sort of freedom and agency to do what they want to do. We'll just have to see. And I'm sure that over the next couple of years, we'll be getting not only a lot of updates to Destiny 2, maybe even Destiny 3 at some point, but sounds like we could be getting a couple new games as well. And before we go, I also want to briefly touch on their publishing strategy. And I think it's smart that this Amsterdam office is being open to be the publishing and marketing division of Bungie. It sounds like Bungie is going to start publishing international games and get a cut of that revenue from other developers. So they don't even have to make the games there. They can just publish and help fund smaller games and smaller projects, help with the marketing of those titles to get them to achieve greater sales. And Bungie will get a nice little cut of that, probably about 30% of the total revenue from those games. So I think it's really smart that they're using this extra money and kind of going off of the success of Destiny to get into publishing others games in addition to self-publishing. I think it's a good move for them. I just again want you guys to be a little bit cautious and just think about this considering the Chinese investment in the company that definitely complicates things a little bit. But everyone, that's it for episode 35 this week. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you like the content, please leave five-star ratings and reviews on podcast services. As always, really appreciate it. And again, remember, you can support the show on Patreon starting at just a dollar a month for early and ad-free access and other tiers allow you to submit question or comment to the show each week for me to go into if you're interested. And then on the YouTube side of things, I did also link the YouTube channel in the description today. I know I've been a little bit behind on uploading to the YouTube channel lately. I just need a little bit of a break to focus on some other things, but now that I have some extra time, I should be putting some more time and effort into some YouTube gameplay and Let's Plays and other content, maybe some reviews coming up once I get my hands on some new games for you guys to look forward to. I don't know if I'm going to go back to Control or just put up some Last of Us 2 or Bioshock gameplay, but definitely keep your eye on the channel. I'll definitely have some new content up there for you guys soon. Really appreciate it if you would like the videos and subscribe to the YouTube channel there. It would mean a lot. And I appreciate you guys being patient with me as I figure out what I want to do in terms of new content for the channel. But again, by the end of this week, we should have at least one video, maybe two up for you guys to enjoy. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening to episode 35 of the show. Hope you have a great rest of your week and weekend whenever you're listening to this and take care.